Welcome to the Wellness Members Club. What is the Wellness Members Club? This is your safe space to get real with yourself. Where you get vulnerable and you feel validated. And an aesthetically pleasing place to talk about the ugly truth of life. Welcome Welcome to the club, club, sis. Hello, hello, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Wellness Members Club. I'm here today with a special guest, emotional eating coach, Lisa Esposito. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me and inviting me onto the podcast. I'm so happy to chat with you and all your listeners today. Me too. I'm super excited to get into all things healing emotional eating and how to cope with it and get to the root cause because it's a topic that I'm so passionate about and I struggled a long time using food to cope with my emotions. But before we get into all that, we start off every episode with something that is going well about our week and something that is unwell about our week. So do you want to start us off? Yeah, something that's well. So we moved into our new house and I'm feeling so much more at peace. We were living in the city before, and uh, it was amazing for the 12 years that I was living in the city, but it was definitely time for a change. So I'm just feeling more at peace, and that's definitely going well. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, yeah. (laughs) And what's going on well? Okay, a little bit of time management. It is, we're starting to enter into the holiday season and I've decided that I am taking a week off in December for the holidays. I usually don't actually usually just take a couple days off, but I'm taking a solid week. (laughs) And that just means that last week and this week, it's just incredibly busy and getting ready for January. So the move, preparation. I'm just finding I can't keep up with the clock. So that's probably what's unwell. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's so nice to take time off. But when you you have to prep for that time off, like getting everything done. So yeah, I'm sure it's very hectic because (laughs) I don't know, like at least for me, taking a week off is so uncommon now. And I feel like a lot of us feel almost guilty to take that much time off nowadays or just like it's stressful. But that's so nice. And, so and it's so to. essential. Like you have to take time off, but it, I just get, I get so excited and passionate about the work that I do that I'm, I'm more inclined to not <laughs> take yeah. time off, but I know I need it. I know I really need it. So this year I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, that'll feel good for sure. And then for me, so what is well about my week is honestly, I... I'm doing a lot of journaling work, and I know I talked about that in my last episode, but just like really realizing how far I've come, and the more journaling work I do, I'm like, wow, like I've really gotten places, so mm-hmm. that feels good. And last week was super busy and a lot of social interactions, so this week I'm more chill and really spending that time with myself and filling up my own cup again. And then unwell, I would say, I don't know why, but this week specifically, I've really been struggling with seasonal depression because the second it gets dark out I'm just like oh like what am I gonna do now because I do a lot in the morning like I get my workout done and recently I've been going to yoga so it's something to look forward to after the clock hits five and that's Mm -hmm. been helping but I don't know it's been harder than normal it's one of those things when it starts to get darker around 4 45 like it's just it feels like okay time to eat dinner and go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden you notice it's only 7:30. So I think what you said finding things to do in the evening to kind of keep you going, that's a way around it for sure. I'm trying to adjust my sleep schedule so I wake up earlier with the sun because I'm in bed by 7:30 no matter what. <laughs> right now. So. Yeah, we'll we'll figure that out hopefully soon. <laughs> But to start us off, I would love to hear a little bit about your story and what led you to become an emotional eating coach. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a holistic nutritionist and I have a background in teaching yoga and personal training. I spent six years working full time in the fitness world and I saw a lot of 
unhealthy habits, unhealthy behaviors. And in that, that's how I transitioned over into an emotional eating coach. And so I kind of realized for myself that was the work that I needed to do. And now I'm just so excited that I get to help women who've had a lifelong struggle with their weight really break up with this all or nothing dieting mentality and show them the simplest, no nonsense way to maintain a healthy weight without the willpower, without the deprivation, without spending countless hours on the treadmill and without giving up chocolate. (laughs) We love chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I've been where a lot of my clients are feeling burned out, the yo-yo dieting, binge eating, even binge drinking. That was a big one for me too. And to really understand my relationship that I had with food, my relationship that I had with alcohol, all while battling a poor body image. And as I turned things around, I became confident, I became in control without losing my badass spark. I've always been a little bit of a rebel. (laughs) (laughs) But I spent so much time exhausting myself with workouts. Like sometimes I would do two back to back hot yoga classes, plus going to the gym, trying every diet in the book from low carb, intermittent fasting, keto, the weight never stayed off for me. And I was always overeating later on. And eventually something just kind of clicked for me. I realized this, this is not the answer. What I'm doing right now is not what I want my life to revolve around. I don't want to be counting calories. I don't want to be perpetually dieting. I don't want to work out seven days a week. Like I knew and thought there just had to be a different way to do this. And the problem wasn't a lack of knowledge in nutrition or a lack of effort in my workouts. Like I actually went full throttle with my workouts. And the problem wasn't that I needed to restrict harder. The problem was that I was overeating when I was stressed, when I was feeling loneliness, when I was bored, when I was overwhelmed, or even as a reward. It's like, oh, I'm so proud of myself. Like, I'm going to go eat. (laughs) And that was really what was holding me back. So over the last decade, I've been helping hundreds of frustrated and confused women who've had this lifelong struggle with their weight really turn their emotions and their sensitivity into their superpower. And at the end of coaching, they get to feel every nuance of life and they're feeling confident and able to just trust their incredible self-control that they have around food. Yeah, I love that. And thank you for sharing. I feel like emotional eating and like you said, emotional drinking, it's almost embarrassing for us to admit that we do it or also just like openly talk about that. I feel like when I struggle with emotional eating, I would never outwardly tell people that because it's just mm-hmm. something that you're not necessarily proud of. And then before we hopped on this episode, I actually looked up, I don't know how accurate this is, but how many people emotionally eat? And it was 61% of people that was charted, right? So that yeah. probably means like 85% of people, yeah. maybe even more, but it's so common. And I would love to hear what is emotional eating to you and are there certain emotions associated with emotional eating more than others? Yeah, yeah, that's a really great question. Emotional eating is a behavior and that's really, really important and a key point because any behavior that we do is an action. And when we say, and I've heard this a lot and this is one of the things that I always flag, When we say, I'm an emotional eater, it becomes an identity. And when you call yourself an emotional eater, you are identifying yourself with that behavior and you actually end up making it a lot harder for yourself to deal with what your challenge really is. And it's so much more gentle on your mind and on your soul when you acknowledge that the emotional eating is something that you're doing. It's not who you are. And so that means there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with who you are. You're not broken. The problem that you might be experiencing is this unwanted behavior, right? That is the emotional eating. To answer your question, certain emotions that are associated with emotional eating, there are a few that come up and there are a lot. (laughs) You know, it can look so different for everyone, but they're not all 
negative emotions. And I just want to backtrack a little bit. There are no good or bad emotions. There are just emotions, right? We are emotional beings. We experience the ups, the downs, everything in between. But just for clarity here, there are emotions that we typically like to feel. So I'll call those more positive emotions. And then there are ones that we're feeling uncomfortable and we typically want to get out of. And so we can call those more of the negative emotions. Um, But I've seen emotional eating come up with stress, right? Stress eating, um, overwhelm, lack of connection or intimacy. Um, And that often comes up a lot with like sweeter foods, um, with sadness. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes if you're feeling really proud and you're wanting a reward and, and it often we turn to food for that. And so when we break it down, emotional eating, we're turning to food to cope with emotions that are uncomfortable, that might even just be, it might not be a good or a bad or a positive or a negative. It's just, we don't know what to do with this energy. And if we actually take it a step further, emotions are energy in motion. So it needs to move through us and channel it somewhere. And when we don't, and we kind of suppress it and hold it in, um, that's when we turn to these coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really like that you said how people identify as an emotional eater. And I definitely have done that in my past, even when it comes to anxiety or something like identifying as an anxious Mm -hmm. person, or Mm -hmm. you're automatically putting yourself in a box where it's the habit is just gonna be way easier to do that because you are that or you believe that you are that person. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I'm happy you brought that up. That was something that I really realized as well as someone who's experienced quite a bit of anxiety. And now I just say, hey, I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety right now. I never call it my anxiety because then you're owning it and it's part of you. But it's really something that, that you're experiencing in that moment with what you were saying, like there's good emotions, bad emotions. And I think a lot of us are like, well, if I feel sad or if I feel lonely, that's a bad emotion. Right. Mm -hmm. But same thing with that. I'm not a lonely person. I just might be feeling lonely right now. Yeah. So doing that with everything I think is really helpful. But for someone who may not know if they emotionally eat, how would you describe typical emotional eating patterns? Oh, that's a great question. I also want to mention that I didn't know that I was emotionally eating for a really long time. It took me a long time to figure that out. (laughs) Same, same. So if you're listening and you're thinking, like, I don't know if this is me, we've both been here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I thought, I thought as I was going through my journey, I thought I just needed to be more strict or I needed to learn more about nutrition. I needed to learn more about exercise. And then once I learned everything, then magically my problems would go away, (laughs) right? But I had already gone to university and got my degree. I had already gone to nutrition school. I got my level one and level two yoga certification, my Pilates, my personal training. Like when was I going to be educated enough to get on the other side of this emotional eating, right? So Mm -hmm. for me, I kind of thought, I just don't know enough and I need to know more right? It's something that really took me a long time to kind of figure out. And I just wanted to mention this because a lot of the clients that I work with are so incredibly smart, they're successful in their careers, they have families, they're active. And this thought of like, I'm so smart and successful in all these areas of my life, like, why can't I figure out this food and body thing? Like, like, what's what's wrong with me? And so emotional eating is a little bit complex. And as I mentioned, it's the act of using food to cope and manage with emotions, even if you're not physically hungry. Some of the signs that can come up, sudden cravings. So you might get a sudden intense craving to a specific kind of food. This one was me. Emotional eating was coming up because I was really craving connection and connection with like-minded people. And for most of my life, I had pretty superficial friendships. And I'm a really deep person. Like, that's probably why I became a coach. (laughs) Because I love to ask questions. I love to peel back the layers. I love to go deep. But a few things were happening. I had a hard time trusting people. So I wouldn't 
let them in. And I found it so hard to be vulnerable. And so I would kind of block people out, not intentionally, but I just wouldn't let them in. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't know I was doing it. And it was totally throwing me off of my health goals, because, you know, I was feeling this sense of like, I just wanted deeper connections with like minded people. And I was turning to food because, you know, that that was just how I was coping with it. And this behavior was actually showing me this craving for deep connections with like-minded people because I didn't have that. And uh, I would go pretty deep into my peanut butter ice cream. (laughs) And that's how... That's how I would go deep and get this sense of bliss, which physically later on, you know, never really felt too good. But emotional eating can always be a really, really important, important teacher. And it can show us what we're what we're really, really wanting. But another one that comes to mind for me is mindless eating. So some clients of mine find themselves snacking on food without being fully aware of what they're eating, how much they're eating. This can happen if you're on autopilot, like even if you're just making dinner and you've got like you're just snacking a little bit here and there and all of a sudden the bag is gone, right? Same thing can happen watching TV, any other kind of distracting activity. The solution there really becomes about staying present, staying dropped into your body and your body cues. The last one that comes to mind for me is eating really quickly. And some of my clients, when we start working together, they're eating at like lightning speed especially if it's one of those forbidden foods. Often we have this like good food list and this bad food list. And part of my work in coaching is to really break that down so that all food is neutral and you're in control. There is no good or bad. But often what happens is we're eating so quickly and that leads to overeating, right? Because your body hasn't really figured out how much you've had just yet. And then usually if there's overeating involved, then there's this big wave of guilt afterwards. So those are those are some of the things. Those are probably the top three, the sudden cravings, the mindless eating, eating really quickly. Those are some of the things that can come up with emotional eating if you're just starting to kind of learn a little bit more about it. Yeah, as you were saying all of those, I was like thinking back to whenever I would have an emotional eating episode, I'm like, check, mindless, check, sudden craving, <laughs> check, yeah. like those all I would experience for sure. Yeah. Um, and as you were talking, I was like, did we live the same life? Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I also, I'm someone that craves deeper connection. And even me now, I think that's honestly why I got into podcasting and how you said you wanted to get into coaching because it's really just like, going deep with people, asking people questions, like genuinely learning more about others. And I had the same thing where having like more superficial relationships, but so funny that you say that because I am definitely the same way. But are there any common thoughts that your clients have about food, emotions, or themselves that may contribute to their emotional eating? Yes. Definitely. And actually, in my emotional eating unlocked program, we spend actually a lot of time confronting beliefs that are holding them back. Some of them that come to mind for me uh, is, okay, so I'll I'll go into the first one uh, that comes to mind. I'll only be happy once I lose weight. That's one that often comes up and I'll share a short story about this because this one was very present for me. This was about 10 years ago now and I was in a very dark place mentally, emotionally. My mind was consumed by the future. I was always kind of thinking ahead and dreaming of the day that, you know, I would get the body I want, the career I want. You know, I was just living in the future. And in particular, there was this thought of like, I'll only be happy once I can like fit into these white pants that were like a goal of mine, a very kind of superficial goal for me. I just wish that I could get into those pants again and feel this surge of confidence. And in my mind, it's almost like these pants held the key to my happiness. And I do remember when I did wear them, 
the compliments I would get, all the praise that would follow. People would say how stunning I looked as if those pants were like some kind of magical pants. (laughs) And it fueled this belief that true happiness would be mine once I could wear them. And this really had a detrimental effect on my well-being. It kept me, as I said, just living in the future, forever chasing this version of myself. And I found it really hard to stay present. And, you know, when you're not present, you're missing out on all that joy, all that contentment, everything the present moment is bringing you. And I had anxiety. I convinced myself that the happiness that I wanted, it was a prize and I could only have it when I fit into the pants. And until that day would come, I felt very undeserving of any kind of happiness that may have come my way. And this kind of distorted perception made me believe that I was this unfinished project. Like I kept needing to do the self-help books and I kept needing to like, work and work and work. I was desperately in need of fixing. And there was this harsh inner critic, right? Every time I would look in the mirror, every imperfection felt like it was intensified. And when I would look around at other people, it seemed like everyone else was enjoying life and having fun and, you know, without all of that self-doubt dragging them down. And then I started comparing myself If only one day when I look different and I'll feel different and I'll truly be happy and then, you know, I'll be like everyone else. And it's just like it put a lot of stress on me. And I was just taking a toll on my digestion, my appetite. I was stressed. It was just like all of this that I was putting on myself. It's ironic because I was so fixated on the desire to look a certain way. And then it actually created this vicious cycle of, you know, wanting and disappointment, shame and guilt. And then what would happen is I would turn to food because temporarily it provided this sense of comfort, even just for a brief moment. And it's, it's just interesting when you start to, to break it down. And the truth is like reflecting on that time 10 years ago. I realized that even when I did fit into those pants, I wasn't truly happy. I was in a really unhealthy relationship at the time. And the external validation that I was getting, it was making me happy because I was feeling really, I was going through a really hard time deep down. And so what it really comes down to is even if the pants fit, (laughs) it doesn't guarantee your happiness. When I ask clients, when you imagine becoming this version of you, what will you do? How will you act? How will you feel? Will you be more confident? Make a list and look at that and start doing those things right now as much as possible because I guarantee you don't need to lose weight or change to be more confident or to wear nice clothes and definitely not to feel happiness. You can be that person right now. Yeah. And it's like your self-worth was directly correlated to how you looked or if you could fit into those pants. But the truth is, it goes way deeper than that. And then even when you did fit into those pants, it's like, oh, well, here we are. I'm still not happy. Yeah. Um, And that could look like so many things like, oh, when I have a boyfriend, I'll be happy. And it's like, no, it's not Mm -hmm. an external thing that is going to make you happy. Absolutely. Um, but you mentioned how people would compliment you, like if you could fit into those pants. And now I purposely will never compliment on someone's weight or the way that they look, because in most cases, especially women, I think it's actually more damaging because then it's like, oh, well, now I look good. Like, why didn't I look good before? Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm so happy you brought that up because it's so true. You don't know what what that person is going through, right? They could be going through an incredibly stressful time. And their body is changing because of that. And then you're telling them like, Oh, my God, you look so good. You're like rewarding, like perhaps some very unhealthy behaviors that are going on. So I I love that you brought that up. Because whenever I'm looking to compliment someone, I try so hard not to focus on 
body or weight. It's just like, oh my gosh, like you, you look vibrant or like your energy is buzzing today. I try and focus on how they're making me feel being in their presence than like just what they look like. When I think back to when I was, let's say the skinniest or thinnest, it was because I was so anxious and so unhappy that I physically didn't want to eat because I didn't have an appetite. Yeah. And yeah. that's for so many people, whether it's sickness or yeah, I just think you never know how people got there, why they lost weight or gained weight. So I think if you do yeah. compliment a lot on people's bodies, maybe just think about that beforehand. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, a good I'm thing happy. too. I'm happy you brought that up. There is one more actually that just came to mind in terms of what kind of thoughts and beliefs come up and perfection. Perfection comes up a lot with the clients that I work with. It's like, I must be perfect with my eating. And even having one cookie or one brownie will totally blow my whole progress. And the fear behind this belief is around being scared that you're going to be out of control. And it's all or nothing thinking. It's this mentality of like, if the food isn't in the house, then I won't be tempted to eat it. So I just won't buy it, which in theory sounds like it would work. But what happens is if you go somewhere where cookies are available in large quantities, wouldn't you want to be in a place where you trust yourself so much around any kind of food? So if we zoom out, the problem here is a lack of trust in ourselves. And what I'm about to say might sound a little bit backwards, especially from a weight loss perspective, but allowing yourself to have that food in your house allows you to build trust in yourself with that food. Whereas if you restrict yourself from being around cookies, then at some point in time, you're going to be around them and you're going to crave them in larger quantities than if you expose yourself in smaller amounts over time. So if a client says to me that cookies are irresistible and they can never just have one cookie, it's like the whole row, then My objective as a coach is to bring this client to a place where they can be around that food, whether it's in their house, at a restaurant, holidays are coming up at a party, and they can be in complete control. And we do that through a strategy called exposure therapy. And you just have one cookie and you walk away and you have 20 minutes where you set a timer And then at the end of that 20 minutes, you come back and you ask yourself, do I want another cookie? And if the answer is yes, you keep repeating the process until the answer is no. And some clients will start repeating the process five or six times, maybe even 10 times. And then the more that you practice this, the less you repeat it, right? And it's about building trust with yourself and with the food, it's kind of like if someone tells you you can't have something, all of a sudden, it's all you want. It's the same kind of principle here. I think like, really breaking up with that perfection of like perfect eating, because that's always going to drive overeating later on if you're restricting and keeping it perfect. I've never met a perfect human. Perfect human, perfect eater. I've never met one, even though, you know, I battled with perfectionism for a long time. I've never met a perfect human. Have you? Nope. (laughs) Definitely not. I tried to be too. I was a perfectionist, but I definitely think that the all or nothing mindset, especially in diet culture, which thankfully I feel like we're moving away from, but the all or nothing mindset of like, oh, I. I can't eat that. Otherwise, I'm not going to get to my goal. It's just so not realistic. Like, what do you want to eat? Peas and broccoli every single meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? That's just like not nutritionally valuable. And it's not realistic. And like you said, so if you never have it in your house, then when I am in the environment with it, I'm like, oh, I never get to have this. Mm -hmm. Let me overindulge now. Yeah. And you're going to have that feeling to really just let loose and overindulge. I'll never forget the time where this was before I went to nutrition school. This was a long, long time ago. I used to do juice cleanses. And I'll never forget, I had just come off of a seven-day juice cleanse. And we went to a holiday party. 
And I ate so many like brownies and cookies and chocolates because I was like, oh my gosh, I was so good on my cleanse. And now I can reward myself and indulge. And I was so sick. I was so sick from going from one extreme swinging right to the other extreme. I was like, I got to find balance. Like there has to be a way for me to figure this out. And it all comes back to self-trust. And as you were saying that, I was thinking internally that makes so much sense. But I used to not trust myself. Like honestly, this year, I really didn't trust myself, not necessarily with food, but just like I would abandon myself a lot and set good boundaries. And verbally, I would say all the time, I used to love Nutella and I would eat it out of the jar when I was, <laughs> I felt lonely, stressed, like Nutella was my way to go when I wasn't feeling good. And I would tell my family, my friends, I don't buy Nutella anymore because I don't <laughs> have self-control. Mm-hmm. But then if you do feel like that around food or anything that you mindlessly escape in, try to just ask yourself, why don't I trust myself and look more into that rather than mm-hmm. I can't have the Nutella or I can't have the cookies or whatever it might be that you overindulge in. But I like that a lot. I'm curious to know when the last time was you had Nutella. So I actually can't eat it anymore because it has milk in it and I have oh. intolerance. <laughs> but I've had dairy-free hazelnut butter. Okay, okay. The last time, probably like a few months ago, honestly, but I'm a huge nut butter girl. Like I love it on toast with banana and stuff. But yeah, Nutella the universe snagged that out of my hands. (laughs) At least some of the dairy-free ones are okay. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, they're pretty good. I forget what brands, but I got it from Whole Foods, the one that I had. Some are interesting for sure, but there are good ones that are dairy-free as well. That's funny. But that leads me into, are there any specific triggers or cues that commonly signal the onset of an emotional eating episode? Yeah, yeah, that could be anything from uh, a few that we mentioned, so like boredom, sadness, but also visiting family that can sometimes be triggering. COVID times, that was a tough time for everybody. Job loss, reward. We talked a little bit about loneliness, and that's one that comes up quite often. That's definitely something I can relate to on such a raw level. And I think a lot of us have some kind of wound around being alone, whether it was being alone as a child with difficult feelings, or you feel like you don't have that close connection to others, particularly for me, it was with other females and not having those people that you can be vulnerable and authentic with in a way that they won't judge you. And it can be really powerful to reflect and during the pandemic, we felt really alone in a very traumatic time. And we were all going through pain and trauma at the same time. You know, it looked different for everybody. Um, really just understanding that this deep sense of loneliness is a very easy trigger for sugar and comfort foods and alcohol. And this is really at the root for a lot of us. So building that connection with like-minded people, with yourself, our society puts this image of the independent woman, you know, being alone, not asking for help, doing it all, putting that image on a pedestal when we really are community driven beings. And one of the major things that I had to learn was to stop competing with other women and really start to step into the creative and collaborative mind. And this was a big part of me trusting other people, trusting myself. And We really need to know that we aren't alone and that we have this deep sense of love and support and connection. Loneliness, you know, I'm just kind of pulling that one out because we've talked about some of the other ones, but we'll remain in these unhealthy patterns like turning to sugar and chocolate and alcohol and shopping and social media. Because if we're looking for that sense of connection and we're not getting it through those deeper connections with other people, we're going to turn to other things. So it can look like anything, really, in terms of like which triggers or specific things can happen. But yeah, it looks different for everybody. Yeah, I know stress and loneliness for who I know have struggled with emotional eating and myself are definitely like the two biggest emotions, I would say. But 
I actually just watched a video about loneliness and how our world is so lonely and it's an emotion that we all experience in Mm -hmm. every stage of our life. It's never going to be like, you wake up one day and, oh, you have a husband and kids. Now you're never going to feel lonely again. Like we all Mm -hmm. go through different experiences and we go to different places in our lives that we're going to feel lonely in certain situations. So one, I think just accepting that this is not a lonely feeling to feel alone. We all feel alone at Mm -hmm. certain times, multiple times throughout our life. What question came to mind when you were talking about that? So I think most people that feel lonely, they almost feel isolated and they turn to food because they don't know how to not feel lonely anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So do you have any tips that you tell your clients? Like if someone is struggling with loneliness and they turn to food, like that's their first thing that comforts them. Do you have any tips on something else that they can do that is more beneficial to them and not as harmful to help that feeling? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, I think the distinction too can be made for being alone and feeling lonely. I actually love being alone. (laughs) I love my alone time. Because that's my time to do my meditation and I do my breath work, my journaling, and I don't necessarily feel lonely in those times when I'm alone. Sometimes, sometimes they go hand in hand, but sometimes they don't. When you're feeling lonely, because you can actually be surrounded by people. And this was something for me too in my early 20s. I felt like I knew so many people and I always had people over, but I just felt this deep sense of loneliness because I couldn't get deep couldn't get deep with them. (laughs) So what I often get clients to start to reflect on questions like who are the people in your life right now that you can have deeper connections with deeper conversations that you can turn to it might be one person, it might be two people. I mean, the number of people really doesn't matter because the quality of that connection is like priceless, really. It's just having those people that you can turn to a sense of community. I know you mentioned earlier in our conversation, a yoga studio, just having that place of like belonging, feeling like you belong somewhere of course, family too, if that's available to you, like just creating your own network of community, but also maybe a handful of people that you know, you can call if you are feeling like I just want to talk to someone, there's not necessarily anything in particular I want to talk about, I just want to connect with someone and being able to reach out to those people. Yeah, I like that. And it is in our mindsets, like it's always greener on the other side. But when you mentioned how you could be in a room full of people and feel alone, like I am single right now and single and thriving, luckily. But <laughs> like I have felt, I've had my periods of loneliness because I do spend a lot of time alone, but definitely love my alone time as well. But I wasn't always like that. I actually used to hate my alone time. And I felt more lonely in relationships with people or in crowded rooms. So I like Mm -hmm. that you mentioned that because that's really true. And it's not greener on the other side (laughs) in most (laughs) cases. But this is a question that I'm really interested in learning more about. Is emotional eating technically considered an addiction to food? Like, is it the same as someone drinking to escape or doing drugs or escaping into something else? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it does vary from person to person. Like when we look at our relationship to food, it's often a a reflection of the relationship that we have with ourselves. And knowing that emotional eating is a behavior, I'd be more interested in learning about what the behavior is teaching you. For example, I worked with a client who felt like she had a sugar addiction. And the more that I got talking to her about her struggles with her weight and got to know her life story, she would talk about sugar and chocolate and candy. And when she would, her face would light up. It became very clear to me that sugar was something that she looked forward to. She found pleasure in it. And when she would have it, she would light up. And so I understood why she found it so hard to stop eating sugar, because that would have also taken away that element of pleasure and fun for her when she 
came to me. She said, I just, I have this sugar chocolate addiction and everyone keeps telling me, just stop, just stop. And I can't, like, I actually can't do it. And I understood very quickly that, oh my gosh, this is pleasure for her. Of course, you know, there were gut issues. There were some blood sugar stuff going on. But at the root of what was going on for her was she needed to start to do more things that she found pleasure in, more adventures, more time with with people, more connection, more intimacy. That was a big one for her. And I think when emotional eating is coming up, instead of restricting it harder, asking yourself, okay, what is this showing me? And often it's more meaning, something to really live and thrive for. And until that happens, food, alcohol, drugs, shopping, social media, these can all take the place of excitement, right? And if I sense with someone that addiction is coming up, I like clients to not only work with me, but also with a therapist, because there is a fine line with between the two. And I can absolutely work with the behavior. But when it comes to addiction, absolutely working with the therapist as well. And some of the other things that come up in terms of like, what is this teaching me it could be learning more patience, more forgiveness, more awareness, slowing down, letting go of like, those harsh self attacking words, we can be so mean <laughs> to ourselves. Yeah. Right? I think you mentioned earlier, right, having more boundaries, finding your purpose and meaning, and there's so many more things that come up. Wow, yeah. That's so interesting that you don't even think about it when you're in it of I'm eating emotionally because it's bringing me joy. But like, thinking about it in a way of what can I add more of into my life to bring me pleasure? But that is not something that immediately comes to my mind when I'm just Mm -hmm. eating a bag of chips, you know, like it goes so much deeper. And that example was, it really made it clear for me. But thinking of what can I add more into my life to bring me pleasure? That's not this food. Is it more connection? Is it doing more exercise, going to a yoga class? Like what would actually bring me pleasure? And then you'll probably see. I would even take it a step further and like, what is something that brings out the creative side of you? Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. And then talking about mindful eating, do you have any tips on how can someone practice mindful eating? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think first we can take a look at its opposite. So what is mindless eating? right? It's not thinking about what you're eating, you're on autopilot, you're tuned out, it's almost like you've abandoned ship, right? That would be more mindless eating. So how do you do mindful eating? It's always coming back to this rooting yourself in the present moment. And so I want to bring this up because we hear this a lot, right? Especially in the yoga world, stay present, right? But how do you actually do that? What does it mean? And how do you actually stay present? So I'm just going to kind of go into put my yoga teaching hat on for a second. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) What anchors you in the present moment is first of all, your breathing, you can't remember what your breath was like 12 breaths ago. That's gone. It's like ancient history. I don't know what my breath was like 12 breaths ago. And I never consider what it's going to be like 12 breaths from now. I just don't. Mm -hmm. So how do I stay present? I just focus on that single inhale and single exhale. So that's the first part. The second part is your senses. When you are present, you're tuned into your senses. What can you smell? What can you see? What are the colors, right? What can you hear? What can you taste? You're really dialing in on what you're feeling in that moment, and nothing else matters. You're just really anchored in. How can you practice mindful eating? Okay, first of all, slow it down. Focus on your breathing, because if you're just inhaling your food, right, that's mindless eating. Slow it down, take breaths in between when you're eating. 
and then really dial into the texture of the food. Slow your chewing down. What does it smell like? What are the colors of what you're eating? Like really drop into that experience and pay attention. Don't abandon ship. Be right here. I think also in today's day and age, I know for me and a lot of my friends and just my generation in general is on their phones or watching TV mm-hmm. while they eat. Like you said, with all five senses, my eyes are looking at the TV. I'm not even looking at my food. I'm tasting my food. Maybe I smell my food, but every other sense, I'm not with my food. I actually notice I enjoy my food more and appreciate it more when I cook it and I'm just like sitting there with the mm-hmm. meal rather than like scrolling on TikTok and eating. Exactly. Exactly. I like that. I know we spoke about some strategies and you mentioned how going into the kitchen, waiting 20 minutes, coming back. And if you want another one, that's a strategy to kind of cope with an emotional eating impulse. But if someone feels like, oh my God, I really want to devour a whole entire bag of chips right now. I'm so lonely and stressed. Do you have any other exercise that you would give your client to cope with that? Yes. Yes. So the first one that you mentioned is a form of exposure therapy where you have a little bit, walk away, 20 minutes, come back. So that would be the first one. The other thing that I recommend is it's called the urge jar exercise. I actually teach this in my emotional eating coaching program. And what you want to do is get comfortable in this really uncomfortable feeling. Like typically when we're feeling uncomfortable, we want to get out of it, right? But there's so much power and there's so much magic in being able to actually sit and breathe through that uncomfortable feeling. Like as I mentioned earlier, emotions are energy in motion. They need to just move through you. There's nothing good, nothing bad. It just is, and it needs to move through you. So the urge jar exercise is you get an empty jar and you get a hundred objects of some kind. I always like to use paper clips just because they're so easy and most people have them. They don't have to go buy any, but any object will work. When you have that urge, that craving to devour the whole bag of chips, you're going to grab a paper clip, set a timer for 10 minutes and focus on your breathing. Nothing else. It is a very challenging exercise to do. Focus on your breathing. Once the timer is up, you're going to put that paper clip in the jar and the goal is to fill the jar. So you can actually see the progress that you've made. So after three to six months of doing this work, and you get into an uncomfortable feeling, let's say at a wedding, and you're feeling really uncomfortable, you now know how to self regulate you how to be able to get in control of that urge or that craving because you've practiced it so many times. And I like the jar exercise because I don't have one here because we just moved but I'll get it out eventually. (laughs) But I like to keep it on my desk space so that I I can see like, wow, go me. I've done so much work here and I can sit with these uncomfortable feelings. Wait, I love that. And I love that you can visually see since it's in a jar of how many times you stayed with yourself and that builds trust on its own. Visualization is so key because like you don't really see The work with emotional eating and healing your relationship with food and your body, you don't really see that work. Whereas if you have a goal of, I don't know, like lifting a certain amount of weight at the gym, right? Like deadlifting a certain amount of weight, you have that number, you have that visual representation of what you can lift in terms of weight training. But this is a very mental, emotional weight training exercise and you can't see it until one day it just happens. You're like, Oh my gosh, I can do this. So it's nice to see the visual representation of that. Yeah, it's not easy. Like it sounds like just take a few deep breaths, and you'll be okay. Like it's not easy to just actually sit with. No, I feel very uncomfortable right now. Let me take a few deep breaths. And then the more you do that, though, it's like nothing bad is happening. And you are okay. And you are safe. So I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll get a jar. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like invite it. you to try it. <laughs> yeah. 
I know when I struggled with emotional eating, I was in this vicious cycle. I would feel so much guilt and shame around eating a lot. And then that just led me to want to emotionally eat more the next day. And it was this vicious cycle. What would you recommend doing when you feel like you can't get out of that shameful cycle? Yeah, yeah. This comes up with every client that I work with. So I'm so happy that you brought it up. It is a vicious cycle, as you mentioned, and the guilt and shame really isn't helping, is it? Like when you feel that, is it helping? No, not at all. Yeah. It's not propelling you toward your goal. It's really just making you feel awful. And so what you need to do is start rewiring your thinking. And because probably this has been going on for years, if not decades, this will take some time. Working with, we can call this a setback, but working with setbacks is also something that I coach in the emotional eating program. The first step is to interrupt the self-attack, okay? Let's say you've had the whole bag of, or the whole row of cookies or whatever, and then you all, all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I'm the worst. What's wrong with me? I know better. I'm a nutrition coach. Like, what's going on? The first thing to do is interrupt it, like, and actually say out loud, no. Like, actually, like, even who cares if people think you're crazy? Everyone's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone. (laughs) Interrupt it and just say, nope, I'm not going there. I know some people who say cancel. Nope, canceling that. Like, nope, no, no. And then be aware as soon as you notice that self-attack, that shame, that guilt start to come up. The more that you effectively work with this, the more you learn from, the easier it will become over time. We can always expect setbacks to happen when it comes to anything in life. So there will probably be times when you're feeling really good and you're not emotionally eating and that can feel really, really liberating. You can feel on top of the world. And then without warning, emotional eating can return, right? Something comes up, extra stressful time, some kind of triggering event, visit with family, right? The bottom line is we can have success with emotional eating and then something can come up and we often feel like, oh my gosh, I'm back to square one, right? All Mm -hmm. my hard work is out the window. I'm a failure. My willpower is gone. And we feel like we're doomed and it's just gonna get worse from here, all because of just one setback. And this is where you need to stay present, right? Don't tune out. Don't abandon yourself. Don't beat yourself up. You're not back to square one, right? If you're learning how to ski, for example, and you fall, does that undo all of the hard work that you've put towards learning the skill in the first place? Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't. So this is no different, right? We're practicing a skill So my advice, just to answer your question, and it was a long way around it, but my advice is to shorten the amount of time that you're in the guilt and shame. If you're very used to that self-attack, for me to be here and say to you, just stop that, that's not very helpful, right? You're probably not just going to stop the self-attack cold turkey. It's it's not really going to happen. If you shorten the amount of time that you're in that self-attack, the shame, the guilt, and let's say it happens for like, let's go extreme, like months, then you cut it down to weeks, and then you cut it down to days, and then you cut it down to hours, and then eventually it's a couple minutes. Now, presently in my practice, it's like 30 seconds. I'm like, oh, why did I do that? Like, what's going on? Okay, I'm done. (laughs) you know, because it's just, it's not helpful. And the key point is to move on, right? The guilt and the shame, it isn't helping you. And some clients in the past have said to me, well, it motivates me. Like who else is going to correct my behavior? Like I have to do it. Okay, sure. Let it motivate you for 60 seconds and then move on. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like shame is not really what's the motivation because that's just like you judging yourself over Mm -hmm. and over again. I like that you said immediately cut it, whether that's no or like next or whatever you have to say to yourself to get that out of your head. Because I think the 
most important thing is just being mindful of, oh, I'm not being nice to myself right now. Mm. And being mindful of that rude voice in your head that's not your friend and it's just your ego talking. But I think being mindful of it, correcting it, and then hopefully you can get it down to like, okay, I'm not being nice to myself. This isn't helping me in this moment or my future self by being mean to myself. So why am I talking to myself like that? And hopefully everyone can get it down to like 30 seconds of, okay, nope, next, we're done here. It'll take time. It'll take time to cut it down to, you know, just a couple seconds, 30 seconds, a minute. But yeah, it's, it's something that for me, for a really long time, it's like if I ate, if I had something that a binge eating experience or something, I would hold it would ruin my whole week, it would be all I was thinking about. And like, Oh, what's wrong with me? that's no way to live and I and I don't want anyone to to feel like it's going to ruin your whole week or your whole month right so just cutting Mm -hmm. that down and moving forward yeah I like that do you have any last tips on how to get to the root cause of why because like you said it's going to be different reasons and emotions for everyone but how to get to the root cause of why someone is emotionally eating and how you figure that out about yourself Yeah, to get to the root cause, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the behavior teaching me? And we talked a little bit about the all or nothing thinking. This comes up a lot with perfectionism, right? Holding yourself to this impossible standard of perfect eating. Maybe if that perfectionism is coming up, there's no perfect reality on the planet where a perfect human exists who has the perfect body, who eats perfectly every single day and everything in their life is so wonderful because they are just so perfect, right? Mm-hmm. maybe it's teaching you patience. We live in a world of instant gratification, like things and patience. It's it's challenging for us to sit and wait and breathe through it, right? The number of people that I coach who are always in a rush and things have to happen fast. And like, I, I started a client last week and we, we had our first follow-up this week. And she's like, well, I'm still emotionally eating. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. yes. And that will probably keep happening throughout this program. We're working through this together and it's going to take some time. So often I've found that emotionally eating, it's like we just want instant gratification. We want to see results fast. And when we don't have the results fast, we turn to food right? So it's really identifying like, what is it? And and I had another client that I worked with, this was a few months ago. But the root cause for her was actually needing to speak up more and use her voice and kind of stop playing small, stop hiding. She felt like her voice didn't matter. And when we look at eating, and we look at speaking, it both, they both involve the mouth, right? maybe the root is showing you to step up your game when it comes to self-expression, to open up, to speak your truth, to find your voice, right? What was happening was like she was playing small and then in the evenings she was eating. She's like, what's going on here? And I'm like, you gotta use your voice. Like this is what's, what's coming up for you. It shows up in so many different ways and finding the root cause, the question has to become, what is the behavior teaching me? Because there's nothing wrong with you. It's just an unwanted behavior right now. And I think it's so important to also mention with it being a behavior that at some point in time, something happened, and you used food to cope with something that was really uncomfortable. So in a way, You know, whether it was something that happened one year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago, you actually in that time made a self-honoring decision because you didn't know how to cope with this really uncomfortable experience or feeling or emotion and you turned to food and you felt better. So in a way, food was there for you. You may not like the behavior now and that's okay if you don't like it, but also just actually respecting the behavior in a way because it actually did help you and it helped me for a long time too so it's like working with it rather than like working against it 
Yeah, that's so interesting because even when you think about a special event or when you're a kid and you do something well, a lot of the times food is the reward or mm-hmm. it's like revolved around food. Yeah. So that does make sense why our minds like that's an easy way to kind of just get that instant gratification that's not extremely harmful to us. So that makes so much sense. And it's not to say that we can never celebrate with food again, because let's be honest, like food and celebration kind of go hand in hand. Like a girlfriend of mine is visiting from Australia in the holidays and we're putting together a big potluck because we haven't seen her in so long. So it's like, you know, it's not to say that we should never couple like reward and events and celebrations with food. But it's so important to be to ask yourself, am I always coupling the two together? Or is it just like sometimes we're doing it and there are other ways that you can manage and cope with emotions other than food and you're doing that most of the time and then you're still, you know, I don't want to make it sound like you can never celebrate with food again because, hey, you will. (laughs) Yeah, no, we're definitely talking about in a balanced sense, because of course, like, we're gonna have our cakes, our cookie, we're gonna have everything. Mm -hmm. But it's more so if you find yourself emotionally eating all the time, or you're like, Mm -hmm. constantly in that vicious cycle of, oh, my God, I just ate so much mindlessly. And now I'm guilty and shameful. So yeah, yeah, we love to celebrate with food, but just not (laughs) too much. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So to close this out, I want to ask you two last questions that I ask all of our guests. But number one is, what does being well mean to you? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so the word that comes to mind for me, it's a little bit cliche, but hear me out. The word is balance because it's actually why I named my business Well Balance Health, because personally, that's what I struggled with the most. It was all or nothing, perfectionistic, like it was across the board, like it was just those polarities. And so I found it really hard to find balance in my life. And now that I've found it, I can never go back to where I was before. It's a balance of the physical, right? Mindful, effective exercise, emotional resilience, eating well. I'm a big fan of the 80-20 rule, like 80% of the time, you are focusing on healthy, nourishing foods. And 20% of the time, your body will know what to do. Your body can manage it. If you're eating well, you're balancing your blood sugars, you're eating gut healthy foods, you know, anti inflammation, if you're doing all the things 80% of the time, then 20% of the time, have the cookie, have the cake, like whatever, like you're good. Yeah. <laughs> And connection to community, to ourselves, personally, spiritually, and being able to slow down. That that to me, being well, like being able to slow down and, you know, not everything is an emergency and you can take your time. Yeah, yeah balance. I like that. <laughs> I like that. I just heard this quote this morning, but they said balance is not something that you find balance is something that you create mm-hmm. so you consciously had to create balance in your life and did that for yourself like you showed up for yourself to create balance yeah so yeah. i love that mhm and then my last question what is one thing for our listeners to remind themselves of on the days that they are feeling unwell yeah great question Give yourself on those days an extra dose of forgiveness, self-compassion, self-love, nourish your body, your mind. It will pass. When you're feeling unwell, it's just a moment in time. Just like when you're feeling well and everything is going great and you're feeling on top of the world, that feeling will eventually pass and you won't feel on top of the world anymore. So it's the same when it's the opposite. So it will pass, take it slow, and really level up the self care. Like if I'm feeling super low energy, headaches, all that kind of stuff, I don't push myself into working harder, like I just got to, you know, that hustle culture just never really worked well for me. Really just giving yourself that extra dose of compassion, forgiveness, self love, and just nourishment. 
in those days. So if you're talking mean to yourself or you're being shameful, stop being so hard on yourself. That's our our message today. Thank you again, Lisa, for coming on today and touching on a topic that so many of us have to work through. But where can everyone find you if they want to contact you? Great question. So Instagram's where I hang out the most. My handle, we can also drop it into the show notes, but it's at wellbalancehealth. You can email me at lisa at wellbalancehealth.com. I've also got a gift for your listeners. It's my cookie craving cheat sheet. I'll send you the link. You can also drop that into the show notes. Totally free. All good. And then if any of your listeners are interested in the emotional eating coaching program. It is kicking off in the new year. I'm not bringing on any more clients for December, but it is kicking off in the new year. And it's a private coaching program for four months. And I coach you through urges and cravings, moving emotions without turning to food, how you can build more self-trust with food and yourself. We'll work through perfectionism, that inner talk, patience, and so much more. A lot of the stuff that we talked about today, we get to work through together. So if that's something that's interesting to your listeners, I'd be more than happy to welcome them into the program. Amazing. Thank you. Also, before we go, I did not forget about our journal prompt, guys. But I want to go back to, you mentioned it earlier in the episode, I think a good question to write down unpack is what can I add more of into my life that will help me feel fulfilled rather than like constantly restricting ourselves and constantly trying to take away what we're doing wrong thinking about what are things that I can add more of so that could be connection it can be exploring new things whatever that might be but I want to end with that journal prompt but that's it for today and we'll see you guys next week Bye, guys.